0: Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today.
1: And we're live.
0: Happy New Year.
1: It's 2024. It's a great year. It's a new year. It's a year.
0: Oh, wow. That was a lot of words you just said there.
1: Yep. New you. Or something. Do you have a resolution for this year?
0: Oh, God, I don't know. You don't know? I haven't gotten that far.
1: No, me either. I don't know. I, d- I don't really do them. Sure. You know? I mean,
0: who really actually does?
1: Yeah, but it's the thought that's fun. Yeah. Anyway, what are we kicking off the new year with?
0: I have got a very large story for you to kick off 2024. You don't really know anything about it, but it is one... That comes from Long Island, which is where I grew up. So that's always fun for me to talk about places that I mm. know of. Um, and I don't really want to say anything to spoil it for you. So I'm just going to jump right in.
1: Are we going to meet Teresa Caputo?
0: God, we could only be so lucky. I know. The Long Island medium. She talks to dead people.
1: I just, I love the accent. It's, <laughs> yeah. I'll watch it forever.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so that's where we're going. That's where we're heading today. Let's get started. May 19, 1992 started out like every other day. It was a quiet morning in Massapequa, New York, and stay-at-home mother, 37-year-old Mary Jo Buttafuoco, was starting her daily routine. Her children were in third and sixth grade, and it was the first day that Mary had allowed her children to ride their bikes to school with friends. She was a little nervous about it, but she figured everything would be fine. After seeing her kids off to school, Mary Jo had a project she was planning on working on that day. She had a bench in her backyard that she wanted to paint, and it was a beautiful day for it. She started painting the bench, but at about 11.45, the doorbell rang. Mary Jo opened the front door and stepped outside, and then everything went black. A retired New York City police officer who lived across the street from the butterfucos was relaxing on his porch enjoying coffee and reading the newspaper when he heard what he believed to be a gunshot. When he looked across the street he saw his neighbor Mary Joe laying in a puddle of blood on her porch.
1: Oh my god.
0: Yeah. Not any normal day for she Mary Joe. She just
1: jo. walked outside.
0: Well, there's a little bit more that happened but we're going to get into that later.
1: I mean, I'm sure, but that's just so sudden and shocking. Yeah. Yeah, it
0: was a Tuesday morning or something in the middle of broad daylight in like like a nice neighborhood in Massapequa, New York.
1: So her experience is like open the door and just goes black soprano style? Kinda. Jesus.
0: When her neighbor ran over to her house, he found that Mary Jo was unconscious and bleeding from what appeared to be a gunshot wound to her head. So the neighbor immediately called 911. Another neighbor called Mary Jo's 38 year old husband, Joey Buttafuoco, who was at work at his family's nearby auto body shop the neighbor told Joey he needed to come home right away. And the first thing that Joey sees is a helicopter landing on his front lawn along with dozens of paramedics rushing toward his wife who was in a pool of her own blood. A chopper? Yes, because they're going to airlift her to the hospital. But he comes home and he sees chaos. So many paramedics rushing toward his wife who's on the ground and a helicopter landing on his front lawn.
1: I have no idea how I would react. No. I mean, there's just so much to take in it one moment in time
0: yeah this is one of those things where you don't know how you would react until you're in that situation and you just kind of hope that you're never in it yeah joey was distraught he was extremely upset and ran up to the police asking for any information about what was going on and who had done this to his wife so let's go back in time a little bit Mary Jo grew up on Long Island, she had very Irish Catholic parents, and she met her husband Joey in the summer of 1971, when the two were in ninth grade. The two started out as friends, and over time, they fell in love. Mary Jo said to her, Joey was the funniest guy she had ever met. He was constantly making her laugh. He was kind of known as a troublemaker, but he was also well-liked and popular, and Mary Jo was very happy with him. The two wanted to start a life together. After dating for a while in 1977, they decided it was time to take the next step and get married. Joey was 21 and Mary Jo was 22, and everyone loved them together. Even though they were young, they were responsible. They saved their money and bought a house in Baldwin right near Joey's family's auto body shop. And by January of 1980, Mary Jo became pregnant with her son, Paul, and a few years later had their baby girl named Jessica. Throughout the time that Mary Jo was pregnant and then dealing with having two babies in the house, Joey was pretty absent at times. It seemed like the more responsible she got, the less responsible he was. While Mary Jo was at home with the kids, Joey would apparently be at work or partying. And it was around that time that Joey acquired a bit of a cocaine issue. He would say he was going to the auto body shop for an hour and then wouldn't come home for like two days.
1: Oh my god, two full days. It's a long time when you got two kids at home.
0: Yeah, that's not great. But Joey was very good at lying. He always had a quick response for Mary Jo's questions, and any time she would threaten to leave him, he was able to talk her into staying. And once she had become pregnant with their second child, the thought of divorce seemed impossible. Mary Jo's dream was to be a mother, and to have a normal life with her husband. She had two kids, she was on the PTA, she was a stay-at-home mom, and a homemaker. By the time Joey and Mary Jo had Jessica, they were ready to upgrade their home. They needed more space, and Mary Jo wanted Joey to be a bit farther away from his friends at the auto body shop, so they planned on buying a beautiful waterfront home in Massapequa. But before the couple could close on their new house, they had to sell their old home, and that's when Mary Jo was completely blindsided. Joey had told Mary Joe they had a buyer for their old house, but when they began organizing everything to go to the bank to transfer funds, Joey broke down and told her there was no buyer, there was no money, because he had given the deed to their house to his drug dealer, because if he didn't, he would be killed. Oh my god. He owed this drug dealer so much money, the only way around being killed was to give away their home. So...
1: I, dude, if I'm her, if I'm Mary Joe, I'd murder him.
0: Yeah. Mary Jo was speechless. She had no idea that anything like that had been going on. It was the lowest point of their marriage. She was furious and also terrified. Her children were only three and six years old. When it came out that Joey had a drug problem, Joey's father was beyond pissed, but he wasn't going to let his family be out on the street. So he took in Mary Jo and her kids and they shipped Joey off to rehab. He also wrote them a check for $50,000 so they'd be able to buy their new house. Wow. Pretty good (laughs) father-in-law. Dude. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I
1: mean, this man is a saint.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Even though Mary Jo was furious with Joey, she stayed with him. She had given him an ultimatum. If he didn't go to rehab, their marriage was over. And thankfully at the time, he agreed. So after the rehab program, Joey came out sober, and for the next five years, he focused on his family and their auto repair business. In his spare time, he would lift weights and would cruise down Oyster Bay in his 30-foot cigarette boat he named Double Trouble.
1: Wait, what? What's a cigarette boat? I'm trying to visualize Joey cruising in this behemoth.
0: It's looking like it's a speedboat. It's a boat? Cigarette boat. It's a boat. They live on the water.
1: Oh, they live on the water.
0: Yeah, I said they had a waterfront home.
1: Oh this makes Wait, he commutes to work on a boat?
0: No. <laughs> he just does it in this in his free time. Okay. Yeah, he drives to work, he boats for fun.
1: Okay. <laughs> I really I was on, I'm off, you know. Are you okay? New year, new boat. <laughs> new <laughs> I don't know. New year,
0: new brain, I guess. <laughs>
1: I don't know why, but I thought Cigarette Boat was just a Long Island name for a car, like that a bus. That is very funny. <laughs> I was like, okay.
0: No, it's not a Long Island name for a car. It's quite literally a boat. I was like
1: auto body shop. He drives a car in his spare time. Makes sense.
0: <laughs> no, he uses his boat. Cool. Yeah. Everyone in the neighborhood loved Joey because he'd take them all out on the boat, and all summer long everyone got to hang out and have a good time. Pretty sweet to have a neighbor who has a speedboat.
1: You have a lot of friends when you got a boat.
0: Yeah. Jessica looks back fondly on her childhood, saying that her parents did everything for them. There were a lot of laughs and a lot of dance parties. Everything seemed to have turned around for the Buttafuco family. Their children were getting older, and Mary Jo and Joey mended their problems in their relationship. Mary Jo once again became hopeful because her marriage was doing so much better. And that brings us to our fateful day in May of 1992, when everything was turned upside down. The community was terrified. Nobody knew who would be bold enough to shoot a woman in the head in broad daylight in this nice neighborhood in Long Island. And clearly, whoever had done this had a gun and was willing to use it. Mary Jo had been airlifted to Nassau County Medical Center, where her prognosis was very bad. She was still unconscious and fighting for her life in the hospital, while investigators tried to piece together what could have happened. They weren't sure if Mary Jo would wake up, so the first thing investigators did was canvass the scene. They immediately found three rounds of live ammunition at the scene. The bullets that were collected for evidence appeared to be 25 caliber rounds. The next step was going door to door and asking neighbors if they had seen anything and gather information on Joey and Mary Jo. Unfortunately for investigators, nobody had seen the shooting take place. People had heard the gunshot, but there was no witnesses.
1: Wait, so why was there rounds of live ammunition on the ground? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah,
0: so investigators do kind of piece together what that means, and I'll I'll talk about that later. Okay. Yeah. Neighbors had no idea as to who could have been behind the shooting. Mary Jo, according to them, was a nice average housewife Investigators turned their attention to Joey, hoping he could give them something to work with. But Joey was beside himself and told them he couldn't imagine anyone wanting to hurt his wife. He had no idea what happened. According to him, they didn't have any enemies. Of course, Joey was the first person they were looking at because he was the husband, but he had an alibi. He was at work at the time of the shooting. And he was being very cooperative with the police, so with no reason to believe he was involved with the shooting, investigators allowed him to go to the hospital to be with his wife. But police remained at the scene, hoping they could find answers. They believed it could have been an armed robbery gone wrong, since oftentimes they end with innocent victims being shot. The Buttafuco's did live in a nice neighborhood, which would have made them an attractive target to a possible robbery but that didn't seem right to them because there had never been any kind of armed robberies in that area or even an armed crime of any kind. By that afternoon, police did receive their first lead. One of the neighbors had gone to police and told them they had seen a Ford Thunderbird that was parked not too far from the Buttafuco's home. But with no license plate number, it wasn't much for the police to go on. The longer it took police to come up with an answer, the more time it gave the community to fear this potential shooter and for rumors to start popping up. And one of the main rumors had to do with a notorious mob family from New York City. It was believed a relative of the Gotti family had lived in that house at some point, and it was possible that someone who was after that relative had accidentally gotten the wrong person.
1: Oh, so...
0: So like, mob hit gone wrong.
1: If that was the case, they just went off of an old house that they had and yeah. just shot a, their wife in the face?
0: That's what a rumor was going around.
1: I guess seems possible.
0: Yeah. In fact, there had been a shooting at the Buttafuoco home some time before this. Nobody had been shot, but there were bullets that were fired through the window. So maybe this shooting wasn't meant for Mary Jo, but she just got unlucky. However, the bullets collected at the scene suggested that whoever had done this had been far from a professional hitman. Investigators believed that whoever had done this didn't know how to handle a firearm. So that kind of debunked the idea of a professional hit taking place for a high-profile mob family. So that's the answer to your question. They found the live rounds and they assumed that that meant the shooter didn't know what they were doing with the gun.
1: I guess so, but I, I don't know. How does them not knowing what they're doing result in unfired rounds ending up on the ground?
0: Because someone who knows how to handle a gun probably wouldn't drop live ammunition.
1: Okay. I'm just trying to think how bullets from inside the gun in a clip get on the ground, I, or unless they had them in their pocket pocket I, bullets. Maybe, I don't maybe know. Maybe they were
0: pocket bullets. I don't know, but this is what the police came to, was that it was not someone who knew who regularly handled a gun like a professional hitman.
1: Yeah, fair enough.
0: There were no real leads, so police had to look at everything. At the hospital, Joey had joined his wife, who was in critical condition. She had a better chance of dying than she did of living. So they were preparing Joey to say goodbye to his wife. They told him if they didn't operate, she would be dead in 12 hours. And if they did operate, she might die, or she may wake up, but she could be paralyzed. They had no idea what the outcome would be but he told them to go ahead with the surgery because there were no other options.
1: Yeah, you got to give her a shot.
0: Right. And against all odds, Mary Jo survived. After an eight-hour surgery, her carotid artery was sewn back together and she was going to live. Doctors had determined the bullet was so close to her spinal cord that they would never be able to safely remove it, so it had to stay in her head.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. That's so crazy to me. Like All these medical things happen just in a certain way that you end up with a bullet close to your spinal cord for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So it severed her carotid and she survived? Yeah, they sewed it back together. That's insane. I thought if that happens, you have like less than a minute to live.
0: I don't think it's less than a minute, but it's very fast. Yeah. But they did. They had paramedics on the scene very quickly and they airlifted her to the hospital. And when she got there, they were like, yeah, she's probably going to die. Like, we're going to try everything, but she's most likely going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Mary Jo would be left with vision problems. Her temporal mandibular joint was shattered and she lost her ability to hear in her right ear and the right side of her face was paralyzed. And she had a bullet in her head forever, but she was alive.
1: What is the joint?
0: It's like her jaw.
1: Okay. Yeah. That would have been, yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, so the bullet went in like right underneath her temple.
1: Oh God. Yeah. Side of the head.
0: Yes. Yeah, she had turned her head and then she got shot and it went in like right underneath her right temple how
1: is she alive
0: that was what doctors were wondering (laughs) she shouldn't have been
1: that's like the middle of your face yes side on okay so her right side of her face is paralyzed she's
0: lost her hearing in her right ear her joint was shattered and her carotid artery was severed but they sewed it back together
1: and she has vision problems yes can she like see anything out of her yes yeah that's kind of extraordinary Mm -hmm. it went in right where your freaking eye is
0: Mm -hmm. well underneath but yes yeah after surgery she was still unconscious and on a respirator but she was living investigators were anxiously awaiting mary joe to wake up so she could potentially give them some insight on who did this meanwhile joey remained at mary joe's bedside along with her in-laws and several other family members joey at the time was just trying to keep his head above water His wife was in a coma, and his two kids needed him. The whole family sat with Mary Jo for days, hoping she would wake up. Mary Jo went in and out of consciousness for a couple of days. She remembers waking up slightly to bright, bright lights and a woman over her shouting that she was in the hospital and she had been shot in the head. But Mary Jo was calm because she thought that she was dreaming. Like, in those moments, she's like, yeah, this isn't real. Wow.
1: I mean, yeah. Everything goes black, and then... Yeah, makes sense.
0: Yeah. By the third day, Mary Jo actually started to wake up. And at this point, she wasn't calm anymore. When she woke up, she was frantic to say something, but she couldn't talk. She gestured with her hands that she wanted to write something down. And she wrote down, Anne-Marie, t-shirt, 19 years old, dolphin court. Mary Jo was still in agony, but she knew she needed to get out what she had remembered. Police certainly believed that the person who had shot Mary Jo was a man. Nobody would have thought that it was a girl.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like everyone else would also assume it's a guy.
0: Yeah, they absolutely thought it was a man. And then she wrote down 19-year-old girl.
1: 19.
0: Investigators were immediately called to the hospital to interview Mary Jo. And she did the best to recount the events leading up to the shooting. The doorbell rang, so she looked through the side of the backyard to the front door and saw a teenage girl had been standing on her porch. So she went to the front door and asked the girl, can I help you? And she said, are you Mrs. Bettafuoco? And she said, yeah. And the girl said, I need to talk to you about your husband, Joey. After that, she said the first thing Mary Jo noticed was a car directly across the street with a young man in it. In her mind, she believed this kid had an accident with her boyfriend and she knew that Joey was an auto body repairman. But that was when she said to Mary Jo, I need you to know that your husband is having an affair with my little sister. Mary Jo was very taken aback. It was a Tuesday morning at like 1130 AM and she was just painting in her backyard. So this was a lot. She asked the girl, how old are you? And the girl told her, I'm 19. She then asked, what's your name? And the girl said her name was Anne-Marie. And then she said to Mary Jo, don't you think it's disgusting that a 40-year-old man is doing this with a 16-year-old girl? And Mary Jo, unsure of what to say, said, well, I'm not really sure it happened. Mary Jo said it was like looking at a child who had chocolate on her mouth who was claiming she didn't eat chocolate. She really felt like this girl was lying. Anne-Marie then said she had proof and pulled out a complete auto-body t-shirt and told Mary Jo that she had found that t-shirt in her little sister's bed while she was making it. The t-shirt was from a new batch of shirts that had just arrived in the office that week. So it was weird that this girl had the t-shirt, but still she didn't think her husband had done anything. So Mary Jo said, so they were having an affair and he left his t-shirt in the bed and went to work with no shirt on? She told Anne-Marie she didn't know what she wanted her to do about this, but she could call her husband and tell him she came by. And then she said she had to go, but thanks for coming by, and she began turning to walk back inside. But that's when everything went black for Mary Jo. She never saw the gun, but she felt it, and that was it.
1: God, did she describe what it
0: felt like? She said it was like an explosion just on the side of her head, and that was all she felt before it went black.
1: Yeah, well... I guess it makes sense. I, just, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just crazy.
0: But yeah, <laughs> she did not believe this girl. So she's like, okay, I'll tell him you came by.
1: Yeah, but I mean, just such a strange interaction. It's like, your husband's cheating on you with my little sister. The evidence I have is a t shirt. I found a t-shirt. <laughs> Thanks, goodbye. Yeah, like, <laughs> that so was it.
0: Mary Jo could tell that this girl was lying. She didn't necessarily know what the girl was lying about but she knew she was lying. yeah. So she just assumed that she was lying about her husband having an affair. But there was a lot of other things she said that she could have potentially been lying about. Yeah. Joey, who is in the hospital room while Mary Jo is telling the police this, chimes in and said he only gave out one of those t-shirts and it was to Mr. Fisher's daughter. So Mary Jo asked, who is that? And Joey told her, Amy Fisher. One of the detectives took Joey out of the room And it was at that point that Joey told him about Elliot Fisher and his daughter, Amy. Elliot and Rose Fisher owned a fabric store in the nearby town of Freeport, and Amy was their 16-year-old daughter. Amy, by all accounts, came from a privileged background. She was an only child, and whatever she wanted, she got. According to those who knew her, Amy Fisher was never told no. But that didn't mean her childhood was happy. She was very sad and lonely for most of her childhood. She was close with her grandmother and her aunt, but for the most part, she had a rough childhood. She said that her father abused her mentally and physically, and she was very afraid of him. Every time her parents fought, she hoped they would be getting a divorce. She had a fairly normal high school life. She had some friends and was planning on going to college. But Amy definitely had a wild side to her. She got into trouble at school a lot, would skip classes with her boyfriend, forged her report cards, and she got into a fist fight with an older girl, which led to the girl having a broken nose and jaw. In February of 1991, Amy ran away from home after she got into a fight with her mother over sleeping at a friend's house. Amy's father apparently got on the phone with Amy and told her she'd be getting a beating when she came home. So she spent the next few days sleeping at friends' and relatives' houses. Her father filed a missing persons report and told police that his daughter was completely uncontrollable and she was unstable, violent, and dangerous. For her 16th birthday, Amy's parents gave her a car. But after she backed out of the garage and lobbed off a side window, she knew she needed to get it fixed. So in May of 1991, Amy took her car into Joey's Complete Auto Body Shop, which her father had taken her to once before for another car issue. And that was when she met Joey for the first time. According to Joey, Amy liked to flounce around in very short shorts in front of the men in the shop, and they thought it was harmless. Joey explained to detectives he believed her motives must have been because she was an unstable young girl who somehow had an unhealthy obsession with him, so she went after his wife. After speaking to Mary Jo and Joey about the situation, police secured a photo of Amy and asked Mary Jo to make a visual identification. And Mary Jo told them that's her. So it was Amy Fisher, not Anne-Marie. Gotcha. And she was 16, not 19. Okay. And she was an only child. So she didn't have a younger sister. Piece that one together.
1: Yeah. That's a horrible situation for her to grow up in. Yeah. this story is just not... It's weird. There's something more here.
0: Yes. Yeah. Let's get into it. So Mary Jo at that point was really angry because her life had been turned upside down and she was in so much pain. And this kid shot her in the head. She had no idea who the hell this kid even was. And Joey matched her energy. He was also saying, I can't believe this. She's nuts. And, you know, just getting really angry about it. Detectives then enlisted Joey's help in arresting Amy since they were sure that she was the shooter. I guess this was the time of pagers so joey paged amy and she left the house got in her car and began driving which was when the police pulled her over and arrested her
1: wait he has her pager number
0: yeah so she would come into the shop like a lot
1: oh okay. some people said more than once
0: yeah apparently some people said that she would purposely break her car so that she could come in and get it fixed I don't know if that's actually true or not, but it seems like for a period of time, Amy was a regular in the auto body shop. Okay. So three days after Mary Jo's shooting, Amy Fisher was brought in for questioning. According to Amy's story, she did not go to the Buttafuco's home to hurt Mary Jo. She just wanted to go there and talk to her. But because Mary Jo was dismissive of her, it made her angry, which was when she took the gun out and hit Mary Jo over the head with it. And then the gun accidentally went off. It was at that point that Amy panicked and fled the scene. So that's what Amy said happened. Investigators were a bit skeptical of Amy's story. They had Mary Jo's scans from the hospital, which indicated the trajectory of the bullet. And it didn't go into her head at an angle. It went in straight through her temple. If it went in at an angle, that would be consistent with being hit with the gun and then it going off accidentally. But that wasn't the case, so it seemed unlikely. But Amy wasn't done with her confession. She also told investigators that she had been having an affair with Joey Buttafuoco that was going on for over a year.
1: Over a year? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Like 18 months, to be specific. Jesus. But wait, there's more. She also told the police that Joey was the one who had gotten the gun for her.
1: Dude. Why? What? Why? What and why? you get a 16-year-old a gun.
0: I mean, we don't know if that's true or not.
1: Okay, well, that's, yeah.
0: that's what she said. (laughs) It was unsure whether he gave the gun directly to her or just told her where to get it, but according to Amy, it was because of him she had gotten the gun in the first place. It was Amy's understanding that Joey didn't have a very high opinion of his wife, and if she went out of the picture, they could be together forever and always. Wow. Following the interview with Amy, Nassau police charged her with attempted murder. Later that day, authorities made an announcement to the media, and as soon as it came out that a 16-year-old girl had been arrested for the attempted murder of a stay-at-home mom, the case absolutely exploded. Amy was instantly labeled as the Long Island Lolita in the media, and everyone wanted in on this story all over the nation, not just New York.
1: Wait, what's Lolita? Lolita.
0: Lolita is an English language term defining a young girl as precociously seductive.
1: Precocious.
0: Just a young girl who's seductive. Okay. It was a media frenzy, unlike anyone in that community had ever seen. Following Amy's arrest, the Fisher family retained a high-profile defense attorney named Eric Nyberg, Nyberg quickly flipped the script on the media narrative that had been going around. He painted the picture that Amy was a sweet little schoolgirl who got seduced by a big burly auto mechanic and that he had forced her into shooting his wife. Amy said that the first time they had sex, Joey had driven Amy home from the auto body shop and he had asked her for a tour of her home since her parents weren't there. And once they got to her room, Joey threw Amy on the bed and the two had sex and Joey told her how much he loved her. And the affair lasted for 18 months. The two of them would have secret meetings about twice a week for that time span. Joey Buttafuoco swore up and down that this was a lie. He said that Amy's claims were absolutely disgusting and it was horrifying to him. By the time Mary Jo was released from the hospital, both Joey and Mary Jo continued to deny the allegations against him. To Mary Jo, she believed that the husband was always targeted in cases like this, but he swore up and down that all he did was fix Amy's car. They never had an inappropriate relationship. Joey's children, of course, also believed their father over what the media was saying. As investigators learned more about Amy Fisher, they discovered that she wasn't just a typical teenage girl. She had a lot of problems in school, she was not well-liked, didn't have many friends, and even more odd than that, a customer of Amy's came forward and told investigators that she was a call girl.
1: This is a lot of information to take in.
0: Which wouldn't make it okay for a 40-year-old man to have a relationship with her anyway. No. But this is just information that was coming out and was, you know, painting her in a negative light.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I don't even feel like I can comment yet because <laughs> it's fine. just so many details Yeah, and narratives are flowing around.
0: Right. Well, it's Amy's lawyer versus Joey versus the media. Like, everyone has their own story.
1: Well, I mean, the truth comes out eventually, but this is just... It's a lot. I mean, it just seems like everyone's shitty.
0: Yeah, everyone kind of sucks in this situation, except Mary Jo. Yeah. So this customer of Amy's came forward, said she was a call girl, and had a tape to prove it. He had secretly recorded her two months earlier, and he went to the media with it and reportedly sold the tape for $7,500. And that was when things got even crazier. What the fuck
1: is happening with this story? So now you come forward, you're like, okay, this child mm-hmm. is a sex worker. Right. And I have a video to prove it. Right. That I have sold. To the media. But now have obtained, oh, he sold to the media. Yeah. What
0: kind of sick fuck are you? Yeah. yeah. Everyone sucks. Everyone sucks, except <laughs> yeah. for Mary Jo. Right. It showed the world that Amy wasn't a sweet little innocent girl that her lawyer claimed she was, but in fact, she was a sex worker and clearly had a lot of problems before any of this started. It wasn't just Amy who had skeletons come out of the closet, though, because the media began looking into Joey's past as well, and they dug up his past struggles with drug abuse. Some publications took it even further and alluded that he was a cocaine dealer. The media coverage on this case continued to snowball with every new bit of information that came out. It was relentless and constant. People were fixated on this case. They couldn't wait for the next scandalous shoe to drop. This was before the O.J. Simpson case, so there wasn't anything before it that had received as much attention as this one was getting.
1: I guess this is kind of the birth of this type of television or news coverage. It's one of the first, yeah. Yeah. But I mean it's just always so disgusting to me how people will kind of start rumors just to like get eyes mm-hmm. and essentially just make money.
0: Yeah, that was that was the job for the media at that point. Yeah, what's I mean, the, the most th- scandalous headline we can come up with?
1: Yeah, but I mean like these these people's lives, you know.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely something slimy about it. But also, yeah. they were getting a lot of really scandalous information.
1: Yeah, I was like, you don't need to make up any rumors. Just report the facts. Just like, the, the, cold the Just facts. the facts alone are making my head spin. Yeah. And that's saying something? We've been doing this for three years? Yeah, I mean, it's just so much.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and everyone felt that way. Imagine how Mary Jo felt.
1: Dude, I can't even imagine. This poor woman, just like everything goes black, and your life is just never the same.
0: You learned that a 16-year-old shot you and she's claiming your husband had an affair with her for 18 months and all of this information is coming out and the media is smearing his name and you have to just live yeah. still <laughs> you just have to keep on living
1: <laughs> like, i don't know yeah the the world is falling apart
0: yeah, truly that was when people began coming out of the woodwork to talk amy's friends eventually would tell investigators that she had been obsessed with coming up with a way to kill mary joe for the better part of a year It also came out that Amy promised two young men money and oral sex if they would shoot Mary Jo for her, but they refused. And if this had been true, the police were now dealing with a case of premeditated attempted murder. On June 12th, 1992, another young man named Peter Guagenti contacted Long Island investigators. He came forward with a lawyer and stated that he was the one who helped Amy get the 25 caliber handgun. He did that in exchange for oral sex and a little bit of money. And he was also the driver of the Thunderbird. He then led police to the gun. And according to him, after the shooting, either she or he had thrown it down a sewer. And he told police where that sewer was, and then they found the gun. So it's a pretty credible story. Which means, potentially, that Joey wasn't the one that got Amy the gun. Even though in the beginning, she claimed that.
1: Okay. Well, that's going to be important in trial. And wait, so this this other guy... Peter, Peter,
0: he's the getaway driver basically,
1: but he got her the gun.
0: Yeah. He said he helped her get the gun. He drove the Thunderbird and they disposed of the gun down a sewer and led the police to that sewer. What the fuck is he doing? Well, he just, he knew it was going to come out at some point that like she had help. And Mary Jo remembered seeing a young man sitting in a car and you know, they knew it was a Thunderbird. So he lawyered up and was like, here's how I played into this. I don't want it to come out later and seem like I'm lying, so I'm just going to tell you the cold hard facts. It's it yeah, was probably I mean, good he... on his part, honestly, cuz yeah. clearly he got mixed up in something way terrible for some head and some money. I wonder how much money? Like
1: <laughs> Yeah. How old is
0: he? He was probably a teenager as well.
1: Yeah, dude. I mean, but you're an accomplice now.
0: Yeah, he was. Oh, he wasn't a teenager, he was 21. So 21-year-old Peter Guagenti pled guilty to gun charges and was ultimately sentenced to six months in prison. Meanwhile... Uh, dude,
1: you got off easy there.
0: Well, yeah, he came forward and was like, here's all the information. Sorry. And they were like, all right. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, all right, that sucks. Um, Six months. Could have been worse. Could have been worse for him, I guess. Meanwhile, Amy was still being held in jail with a record high bail for Nassau County at $2 million. Wow.
1: And she's 16 still?
0: She was actually 17. I said 16 earlier, but I think the affair started when she was 16, and now she's 17. Doesn't make Doesn't a big really, difference. Yeah. <laughs> not, a, not a huge but, difference, but yes, she's a teenager.
1: Oh my god, you're, you're 17, you're on $2 million bail.
0: Yep. She had been in jail for quite some time until her lawyer came up with the idea to sell her publicity rights to someone in return for them posting her bail. So- If anyone could come up with $2 million for her bail, he would sell them an Amy Fisher exclusive and like sell her story, basically. And it worked. They got her out.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, for the amount of attention that this is getting. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, she was bailed out by a Hollywood production company. Yeah, and good people. (laughs) Right, the best kind of people. But as Hollywood was shelling it out for movie rights, prosecutors were still trying to figure out how the story was even going to end. And it was soon figured out that this was not a case that would be going to trial. This case had to be handled on a plea bargain. So in September of 1992, prosecutors informed Mary Jo that Amy Fisher would plead guilty to the reduced charges of reckless assault. The news devastated Mary Jo. She was furious. They could have gotten her for 25 years to life for attempted murder. And that's what Mary Jo wanted. Mary Jo then got a call from the district attorney who called her into his office. He informed her that they had been investigating Joey very heavily at the time, which again made her incredibly angry, but they told her that Amy had made her plea agreement and they had some sort of stipulation in there that stated Amy had sex with Joey and the DA would be accepting that. So as part of her plea, she had it put in writing that she and Joey did have an affair and the DA would be accepting that plea. So it's, it's kind of out of Mary Jo's hands at this point. The DA is just calling her into the office being like, okay, she's getting reckless assault, and also we've been looking into Joey a lot, and the plea states that Joey did have sex with, Mary- with Amy Fisher.
1: Is it just on her word? No. Okay. Yeah. I was like, you need more than that. You need some yeah. evidence they, they have to evidence. support that because, I don't know, like... I think this could be pretty easy for any lawyer during a cross-examination to make her out to be a liar. I mean, right. she said she got the gun from him, and that clearly wasn't true.
0: Right, so this case would not be going to trial, so there wouldn't be any cross-examination or anything like that. They're just doing a plea, a plea agreement.
1: Yeah, do they show her what the evidence is?
0: I don't think so. They just told her what the what the plea was and that they are accepting it. Oh, my God. Yeah, my head so, would Mary, spin. so Mary Jo was, one absolutely pissed and two still believed that her husband had not had an affair with yeah, amy
1: just flabbergasted
0: yes and so at that point joey was officially being investigated on charges of statutory rape because the police were like okay well we're gonna look into him now and she's like oh my god my life is ending <laughs> mary joe yeah mean. i mean
1: it's already been ending but
0: yeah on september 23rd 1992 amy fisher appeared in court to enter her plea She told the same story that she had initially told the police. She had gone to talk to Mary Jo, got mad when Mary Jo dismissed her, Amy hit her over the head with the gun, and when she went to hit her a second time, the gun went off. She panicked and she left. So that's Amy's story. Her sentencing was set for December 1st. But before her sentencing day arrived, another bombshell hit the news.
1: Are you kidding me?
0: Not long after Amy's plea agreement, the show Hard Copy aired a video that somehow surfaced of Amy Fisher with her boyfriend who had recorded a conversation of theirs. It showed that a day before she went in to make her formal plea agreement, she snuck out of her house against the conditions of her bond, went to see her boyfriend, and he recorded their conversation to sell her out. So he sold this tape for $10,000 and the tape was all over the TV the next day. In the conversation, Amy said, so I'll go to jail for a couple years, but I'll make a lot of money because she was so famous now. She was treating the situation like it was no big deal, and she said she would even get a Ferrari out of it. She's like, whatever. Wow. And again, it showed Amy in the complete opposite light that her lawyer had been trying to paint her in. But he said, Amy's going to do what Amy wants to do. Amy was devastated that her now ex-boyfriend had sold her out to the media, so much so that she actually made a suicide attempt and wound up in a psychiatric hospital on a locked ward. So another month later, Amy was released from the hospital, and at her sentencing, she was given a maximum of 15 years in prison with a minimum of five years. So she got five to 15 years. Given her mental instability and the recent video that had shown how calculated she could be, prosecutors decided to drop the investigation into Joey Botafuco for statutory rape. Okay. They didn't want to have to bring Amy Fisher into court and present her as a credible, truthful person.
1: Yeah, you just can't really do that anymore.
0: Right. So because of this, Joey got a pretty lucky break because they stopped investigating him.
1: Okay, but they had to have something.
0: They did. Amy was in prison, Mary Jo was healing, and Joey was off the hook. So everything should have gone back to normal. But for whatever reason, Joey loved being in the spotlight. His attorney at the time decided that he and Joey should go on a we told you so, Joey is innocent tour. Guys. And Joey <laughs> what thought the fuck? Joey thought that was a fantastic idea. But Mary Jo thought that he was out of his mind for wanting more attention after everything. The police were pissed about this because they already thought Joey was a shady guy, and now they had him rubbing it in their faces that they were wrong. And apparently it wasn't only the cops who were put off by Joey's I told you so tour because former employees of Complete Auto Body came out and claimed that Joey had told them he had had sex with Amy at various locations, which restarted the investigation. You... (laughs) He's an idiot.
1: I know. I mean, thank God he's an idiot because they were just not going to look into him. But you told other people about it. Yep and told his buddies now you want to go on a I told you so tour where you can continue to lie to people
0: i guess he just figured that his friends or his co-workers wouldn't rat him out
1: i guess bro but, code or something uh, i mean when it's a
0: <laughs> when it's statutory rape it's, bro code kind of goes you, out the window
1: yeah when it's yeah yeah <laughs> i think bro code assumes that it's legal
0: sure we're <laughs> not just disgusting so yeah this time they had concrete proof of joey and amy's affair Amy's attorney had supplied some evidence that could be used in the prosecution of Joey Buttefuoco, and it was pretty overwhelming. On October 14th, 1993, Joey was indicted on 19 counts of statutory rape. Each charge was six months to a year.
1: Excuse me. Wait, so at that time, just a single count of statutory rape, you would get six months to a year?
0: That's, yeah, now when you put it like that, that sounds bad. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. That sounds really bad. Yeah. I mean
1: I'm just, just yeah. saying what you said. No, you're this right. Is
0: ridiculous. So again, Mary Joe was beside herself because Joey was looking at twenty five years and Amy was looking at five. Mary Joe was still begrudgingly in Joey's corner because he was claiming he was not guilty of all of these charges. She believed everyone was against them. The police, the district attorney, everyone.
1: Yeah, I could kind of see why she would think that though.
0: Yeah. It, I mean, her husband, of however many years, is claiming up and down that she, that he had nothing to do with this. This is a lie. So, of course, she wants to believe him.
1: Yeah. And it also seems like the DA kind of, you know, After I don't know a what bit. to say, like, to describe it, but kind of pulled the rug out from under you, kind of, like, went, almost, almost went behind your back.
0: Yeah, a little bit. She, well, she was feeling, like, kind of thrown to the wayside because... When all of this media frenzy was going on, it was like, oh, poor Joey or poor Amy. But like Mary Jo got shot in the head, you know, but the media was so fixated on this like scandalous story that nobody was really thinking about Mary Jo.
1: Yeah, that's not right.
0: Yeah. So to her at this point, it's still her and Joey against the world. However, over the next few months, with the help of Amy Fisher, prosecutors were successful in gathering evidence that clearly suggested Joey was guilty. They were having sex everywhere, at Amy's home, on Joey's boat, at the garage, at motels. The police went to the motel and gathered receipts from Joey being there and the date that Amy claimed she had been there, and they exactly matched up with the receipts.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a good night.
0: Yeah. On November 21st, 1993, a little over a year after Amy was convicted, Joey pled guilty to one count of statutory rape against Amy and was sentenced to six months in jail. Even after watching her husband plead guilty to statutory rape and having to say what he did in front of the judge, Mary Jo still believed Joey was innocent.
1: I mean, I can't even imagine being in her position.
0: No, it's, yeah, it just sucks. And no one can, yeah. She still believed that they had been effed by the district attorney's office and she knew her husband wasn't a saint, but she really didn't think that he had an affair with a teenager. That seemed like too far in her mind. After serving four months and nine days of his six-month sentence, Joey was released on March 24th, 1994.
1: Okay, so like a semester in college.
0: Yep. And so he was picked up by his wife because he served a sentence. She even threw a party for him when he got out. It was a huge party. Friends, family, neighbors, everyone celebrated. And when I was thinking about this party, I was just thinking about what I would have given to be a fly on the wall.
1: Yeah. What do people say?
0: Uh, I don't, I don't know, know. But like, according to them, it was like everyone believed Joey, and they were all partying. But also, dude, like he went to jail. He went to prison or jail he got for convicted. it. Convicted. Yeah. He pled guilty. <laughs> like, what did they say about? Who was saying like? Was anyone being like, I don't know, but it's a good party, but I don't know, you know?
1: What did Mary Jo say about the receipt at the motel?
0: I think she was just choosing to not believe it at this point. Yeah. Like, I think she was so... Her mind was so dead set on him being innocent that she was not seeing the evidence. Yeah. It's denial, babe. Yeah. It's it's real, real strong stuff. So anyway... In 1996, Mary Jo moved their family to California, hoping for a fresh start. Mary Jo believed that the nightmare was finally over, but that was not the case. Less than a year after moving to California, the New York Parole Board announced they would be hearing Amy's application for release, because remember, she had a minimum of of five years, so she's coming up to that. Mary Jo was still very angry at the whole situation. She was taking medications for pain, and it was easy for her to be extremely resentful that Amy Fisher ever came into her life. Her life was forever changed by this girl, so she's like, screw this. So when she heard that Amy was up for parole, she went back to New York to fight to keep her in prison. And due to Mary Jo's pleas that day, the board denied Amy's parole. Once the board had rejected her application, Amy got a new lawyer... And that lawyer reached out to Mary Jo. They asked Mary Jo to speak to Amy's mother, Rose Fisher. And surprisingly, Mary Jo agreed. And after that, I guess Mary Jo knew her husband had had an affair with Amy, but didn't realize that there was more going on for Amy than she thought. So her mother basically was like, she's having a hard time. And she has had a hard time. And like, she's just, she's my daughter. So at this point, this was the beginning of Mary Jo kind of forgiving Amy Fisher a little bit and trying to just move on with her life. She's not going to sit here and be like, oh, it's fine that this girl shot me in the head. But she was so angry at her for so long that she's like, I need to forgive her to move forward. Right. In May of 1997, Mary Jo spoke at Amy's next parole hearing and requested that she be released. So she changed up her tune. And Mary Jo had come to peace with the fact that Amy Fisher would be getting out, and she started to become a little empathetic. And she looked at the whole thing from a mother's standpoint. Amy was only 24 at the time, and Mary Jo was in her 40s. So she was hoping that Amy would use this opportunity to turn her life around and really do some good. She made a big mistake, but now she can go out and make it right by helping others. So that's Mary Jo's perspective.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's a testament to her character.
0: Yeah, that's huge for someone to be able to get to that.
1: Move past that.
0: Yeah. So the board voted two to one to grant Amy's parole. Because of the support of Mary Jo, Amy Fisher was given parole in 1999 after serving seven years in prison. And Amy was ready to pick up the pieces of her life and move forward. But the world wasn't as forgiving as Mary Jo. She wasn't accepted into society. She shot an innocent mother of two in the head for no real good reason, And she couldn't get a job, so she went to the only thing that this girl knew, which was becoming a cam girl. Finally, in the spring of 2003, Mary Jo divorced her husband. According to her daughter, Jessie, Mary Jo did wait so long because her kids were so young through everything. So they kind of did a stay together for the kids kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that was a long time. When did Amy get released?
0: 1999.
1: Yeah, four more years. a long time
0: yeah well when she was shot her kids were in like third grade or something like that
1: yeah i mean but it took years for her to get out of that denial
0: Mm -hmm. and i don't actually know specifically what turned her over to believing that amy and joey had an affair i mean at some point joey did actually confirm it he was like yeah we did but i don't know if something happened before that that she was like okay it did actually happen but she, she believed
1: It probably happened really slowly over time.
0: Yeah. Since her release, Amy Fisher married a man named Louis Bellera in 2003 and had three children. However, the couple divorced in 2015. And in 2004, she released a memoir called If I Knew Then. Um, She also briefly worked as a columnist for the Long Island Press. In 2007, after a sex tape emerged, Amy began a brief career in adult entertainment She starred in her own pay-per-view adult film, Amy Fisher, Totally Nude and Exposed, and made a handful of other adult movies. She walked away from the industry in 2011. Although Mary Jo forgave Amy to be able to move forward in her life, she does not think very highly of Amy Fisher. She thinks that she hasn't changed much or grown from anything. And she actually called her a narcissist many times. She's like, it's all about Amy. She's not a good person. So that's Mary Jo's opinion of Amy. Amy has occasionally spoken out about the Buttafuquos, even calling Mary Joe a nunnity during a 2008 interview for Stepping Out magazine. And she said, people are angry at me because I'm a millionaire, but continued, but guess what? So is Mary Joe. She made more millions off of what I did than what I made.
1: This is not a good point no. for you. No, it's not. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. I'm a millionaire. Like, people are just mad at you because you're a millionaire. There's no other reason that anyone might have yeah, an right. emotion that's about That's the only
0: you. reason, because you made so much money. Maybe because you shot someone? Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, I just don't understand how you could think that.
0: Yeah, well, I guess that's why Mary Jo doesn't have a very high opinion of her.
1: I am kind of on her side here.
0: Yeah, so like Amy, Joey also continued to capitalize off of his fame, and after everything, he became an actor— He acted in nearly a dozen different films and TV shows, including celebrity boxing Judge Janine Pirro and Judge Alex. Joey Bodefuoco lives in Los Angeles and is spending his retirement restoring old cars and riding motorcycles. He and Mary Jo have, at this point, been divorced for a long time, and they're cordial with each other. They have adult children and have grandchildren together, so they see each other at birthday parties or big events, but that's about it. And actually for a minute, I thought that Joey and Amy Fisher had gotten together later in life because there's like this interview that I stumbled upon where Amy and Joey are like sitting in a car holding hands and he's like kissing her on the cheek. And he's like, I have so much love for you. And she's like, I love you too. And like, it's so lovey and over the top. And so it, it was actually just for an interview that they did together for money. They like wanted people to believe that they had gotten together, but it wasn't true.
1: Okay, so Joey's still going on the I told you so tour?
0: Pretty much, but like not I told you so because he's not hiding the fact that they were together. He's like, yeah, we were together and we loved each other. Okay. But that was just for one interview. So the first one they did before that was actually a really big confrontation between Amy, Joey, and even Mary Jo. So, Wait,
1: so what was this on Jerry Springer? Like,
0: no, but like it, it's giving that. It's like Jerry Springer vibe kind of thing. But there wasn't like a big studio audience. It was just like them in a room confronting each other. Why so, did Mary
1: Joe agree to that? Okay,
0: so here we go. In the confronting one, Mary Jo did come out and even hugged Amy Fisher at one point, And they all sat down and then they yelled at each other. What? And, like, <laughs> what the fuck? and like I said, this was for money. So Mary Jo literally said, I was made an offer I could not refuse. So she's like, okay, for one afternoon, I can sit in a room with Amy Fisher and pretend and then yell at her for like millions of dollars she i mean i don't know if it was millions or not but by what amy fisher said she made millions so it could have been from that
1: yeah i would have done the same thing yeah
0: i mean she's like they made me an offer i can't refuse and she was in one recorded interview and they wanted it to be a train wreck so they got what they wanted yeah yeah like literally even maury povich was like (laughs) he, he like commented on it he was like yeah this was supposed to be fake ridiculous television and that's what it was
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) this is something you can't look away from
0: yeah it even ended with joey yelling at amy and storming out of the studio like angrily sure right so but later on was the interview that amy and joey did where they pretended like they were romantically involved with each other they were sitting next to each other and saying how much love they had for each other and how they always did So after both of these interviews, Joey's daughter was absolutely livid with him. The first time, because it was a train wreck and she couldn't believe that he had made an ass of himself on TV. But the second time, she couldn't believe that her father was walking the streets of New York and acting in love with the woman who attempted to kill her mother.
1: Yeah, that's a lot to take in. Yeah. uh, How old is she? As a daughter, person in general? She was
0: like in college at that point.
1: Yeah. Now... If I were her, I would want to be seeing some of that
0: cash. <laughs> You'd be like, "Cut me a check, Dad, and I'll go- I'll forgive you."
1: <laughs> I mean, disgusting. But if you are truly only doing it for the money,
0: yeah, cut I don't me know. In. So Mary Joe's children apparently had a really difficult time, like dealing with everything in their life growing up.
1: How could they not? Of course.
0: I mean, it was very turbulent. They both ended up with drug problems at one point, and there were times when they didn't talk to Joey for years. And at the time that this interview came out. Um, it was like right when jesse was in college and she was at the height of her drinking problem So she this was like a bad time for her But now according to mary joe, they're both clean and doing extremely well. So yeah, that's awesome
1: That's super hard and I have to imagine that this set of circumstances would throw anybody mm-hmm. But they probably also had some of the genetics that would make them more predisposed to that if their dad was also
0: A had, cocaine addict.
1: Yeah had previous issues with it.
0: Yeah, that's a good point yeah, it just was tough, but thankfully, they've come out on the other side, so that's something good.
1: Yeah, I'm just, I, I can't even, like, begin to try and put myself in a situation where you're watching your dad canoodle with the person who tried to kill your mother. Yeah, shot her. In the face. In,
0: yeah, in the side of the head.
1: In broad daylight, and yes. then, Yes, and know. she
0: was completely innocent. Like, she was just a lovely mother of two living in her house, and she was painting a bench in her backyard. She didn't even know about Amy Fisher, didn't know who this girl was, and got shot in the head.
1: Yeah. And also, stuck by her husband for years. Yep. Too many. Yeah.
0: Too many years.
1: I mean, I don't know. I was just thinking earlier. I'm like, what an idiot he is to have done this. She's clearly so loyal.
0: Yeah. And she said that for a good couple of years, she never spoke to Joey. Um, Like, she had gotten, I think, remarried, and Joey got remarried, and then- the first time they had seen each other in years and spoken was at their son's wedding. Um, and everyone was like kind of on. Yeah.
1: What is that wedding? On like? edge. Yeah. Uh,
0: wondering what it was going to be like with mom and dad seeing each other for the first time in years. And Mary Jo was like, listen, this is about you. And yeah, I'll, I'll see your dad. But like, we're not going to make it a thing. Like, it, it's fine. So that also kind of speaks to Mary Jo's character. Of just her being like this is your day and it's gonna to be totally fine and it was and they like hugged each other and they said hope you're doing well and they moved on so that's kind yeah. of where they're at and I, I think that's
1: good for the best yeah, but yeah if that's for
0: the best for the family i'm glad mary Jo still carries the bullet in her body but now it stands as a reminder of how lucky she is to be alive she said she has so many little angels who knew she still had more to do in life her face is still partially paralyzed but in 2017 she underwent a facelift and nerve repair surgery that helped a lot with that so like the right side of her face for many many years was like really droopy and Mm. she couldn't move it obviously but now it's like more normal looking or like more like what she looked like before so that's good that's good she said it's the first time in 25 years that i can smile and see the side of my teeth oh god yeah She now lives a quiet life outside of Los Angeles and spends her time raising awareness about gun violence through public speaking. There have been movies about this case and Mary Jo did write a book called Getting It Through My Thick Skull, Why I Stayed, What I Learned, and What Millions of People Involved with Sociopaths Need to Know. (laughs) So kind of a mic drop by Mary Jo. Yeah, at Joey. Yeah, but uh, that is, that's where the story ends. This was a huge case. Dude. My multiple relatives of mine, like my mom and my aunt and like people were like, do this story because it is huge. Yeah. And they were right.
1: <laughs> I think this is another case where I feel like we've been sitting here for three hours just because of the amount of details that it's, you've given me.
0: It's a normal length. <laughs> I know it's a normal not, length, yeah. but it
1: just feels so much longer because the amount of things that you told me that are just outright insane mm-hmm. is just so much more. It's just so much shitty behavior all around. Yeah. I'm kind of stunned.
0: Yeah. And I mean, obviously, part of it is that she was 16 years old. And like that relationship with Joey was disgusting and wrong on Joey's part. Like she was a a teenager, so she couldn't consent. Right. But at the same time, she did colossally mess up Mary Jo's life and did something so stupid. And Mary Jo doesn't think very highly of her at this point in her life. So it's it's kind of just, there's a lot of gray. Yeah, a lot there's of gray. a lot of gray.
1: Honestly, she's lucky that she only was in prison for seven years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mary Jo wanted her to be in for 25 to life, which she could have gotten if they went for attempted murder, but they didn't. Yeah.
1: I mean, now that I'm thinking about it again, this, her conviction is quite infuriating because they had evidence that she premeditated it. Yeah. And well, they
0: had, I don't know if it was- concrete evidence but they had i guess hearsay they had people coming forward being like yeah she was planning this for six months
1: yeah but i mean is is witness testimony not concrete
0: it's not physical evidence it's circumstantial
1: yeah but i mean you would convict somebody off of a testimony
0: i don't know i guess they felt like they couldn't yeah like definitely get that so they went for at least a lesser sentence
1: Okay. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess the point is like for what she did, seven years is short.
0: Yeah, she got off pretty easy on that one. Yeah. But anyway, that is Mary Joe Bodafuco's unbelievable survival.
1: Yeah. I mean, I hope that she just found some peace. I think know? she did.
0: I think at this point in her life she is doing quite well and is happy and has, you know, her children are doing well and she has grandkids and she's living her life and public speaking and doing well. So it's the best yeah. outcome you could have, I guess
1: yeah from what happened right
0: um, but anyway why don't we move on to a bit of a palate cleanser um tell me something good
1: my good thing is that i have a costco crew neck <laughs> i was listen
0: this man <laughs> is obsessed with costco he talks about it nonstop he always wants to go and not for anything good just to walk around because it's fun, it's fun. and i'm he, you know any given day he's like do you want to go to costco and i'm like for what and he literally says fun so (laughs) when i was at the store i happened to come across a costco crew neck in his size uh and this was not at costco this was literally at like a thrift store that i was thrifting at Mm -hmm. and so i saw it and i couldn't not buy it (laughs) so it was a a little bit of a gift for him and he loves it
1: (laughs) yes i do love it i mean it's at this point it's a meme yeah but I don't actually want to go to Costco every weekend, but it's fun to like, <laughs> see you be like, oh my God.
0: Uh, get a reaction out of me. Sure. Yes.
1: But I do really well, like it. And it's uh, a
0: really, I, it, it's a soft crew neck. <laughs>
1: yeah. It actually fits me perfectly. It's so funny. Um, and I, I, I mean, I actually am a Costco stan, but yes, yeah, I mean, that's my good thing. I love that thing.
0: <laughs> I'm so glad.
1: What is uh, your good thing?
0: My good thing is that we attended my sister's wedding and it was so fun. It was so fun. Except that it hasn't happened. And it definitely already (laughs) happened because I'm definitely recording this actually in the new year. Right. But I know that it it was fun because I was there. (laughs)
1: Right. It was merry.
0: Yeah. Merry and bright. um, And everything was fantastic.
1: The ceremony was so beautiful. Oh,
0: God. And I I love the part when they...
1: When they eloped. What? Eloped? That's not... (laughs) Got married?
0: Yeah. Eloping is running away to Vegas and getting married. Oh,
1: okay <laughs> i'm sorry do i need to pull up the definition
0: are you actually is that actually what eloped means when you elope you like run away together
1: i thought that just meant getting married
0: i mean you don't have to be in vegas to elope but yeah it says run away secretly in order to get married especially without parental consent
1: oh <laughs> well fuck
0: so no they did not I had not elope. no idea
1: is this like meaning that we're old we're just gonna argue about facts and definitions now
0: Eat shit, dear. <laughs> Eat shit. Dear.
1: <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. It was 59. Yeah. It was 59.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, anyway, Happy New Year. I hope you guys have a lovely week. And if you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at not underscore podcast. Check out our merch at nottodaypodcast.myshopify.com. If you'd like access to a bunch of bonus episodes, head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you have a story of survival or something crazy that's happened to you and you'd like to potentially hear it on an upcoming listeners episode, send it to us at nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is nottodaypodcast and a Twitter that is nottodaypodcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three.
1: Because that makes sense.
0: And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.